My name's John. I'm one of the pastors here at North Langley. Uh, if you're new to Jesus, new to church, new to Aldergrove, a special welcome. We're very glad to have you here. If you've been here over the past few weeks, you'll know that we're in a series called Deliver Us, in which we're talking about victory through Jesus over the power of the devil and the demons. 1 John 3, 8 says that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The Son of God did appear, and he did destroy the devil's work. So that's what we're looking at. Over the past few weeks, we've seen a few things, that when it it comes to the devil and demons, and if you're new here this morning, you're probably landing in one of two places. Uh, One is, that sounds like ridiculous fairy tale nonsense. Only little children and the most disconnected from reality would in any way attribute life to invisible forces of evil. The other extreme is to get really, really obsessed. And we don't want to fall either way there. Jesus, in his life and in his ministry, he engaged with the devil. He engaged with demons, but he always, always won. There was a 100% victory rate with Jesus. And so we recognize that the devil and his demons are real, but we recognize that overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. And that's what we're talking about today. That the reason that the devil, or sorry, the reason that Jesus appeared, (laughs) be very careful here, is to destroy the work of the devil. Last week, Kevin showed us that the devil has three main tactics. He tempts, he deceives, and he accuses. And the process of going through that leads to death. Now, temptation is what we're talking about this week, deception next week, and accusation is one of those things where we're like, well, what does that even look like? But it's what Satan means. Satan isn't a name, it's a title. It's almost a legal term for prosecuting lawyer. And so in the courtroom of heaven, the devil is the one that stands there and says, do you see this person? They are guilty. They are to be condemned for the following reasons. And that is the role of the Satan. He is the prosecuting lawyer to convince us of our guilt, our shame, and our unworthiness. And so the devil tempts, he deceives, and he accuses, and the end result of that is death. And we saw that in Eden. So this week, temptation. Next week, deception. So when we talk temptation, we are not talking about temptation body mist, which apparently is real. (laughs) We are also not talking about temptation's cat snacks, which apparently are not good for cats. And so if you have temptation, just remember they're snacks and not food. And we're also not talking about the musical group, The Temptations, singer of the 1965 hit, My Girl. That's just branding, where temptation is used as something good, something intriguing. But we're also not talking about something that would knock us off of our New Year's resolution. You know, I want to drink less coffee, but I'm really tempted to try that new coffee shop. I want to exercise more, but I'm tempted to just stay home on the couch. 
You know, I want to be more productive, but I'm tempted to just scroll on my phone. We're not even talking that level of temptation. See, as apprentices of Jesus, we are called to follow him, to walk with him on a good, pla- on a good path to a good place, on a good path to a good place, and temptation is anything that would pull us off the path or away from the goal. So temptation is anything that would pull us off the path to which Christ has called us to walk or away from the goal that he has called us to pursue. That is the temptation that we're talking about. The temptation to rage and plot revenge when you're wronged. The temptation to take what isn't ours in the pursuit of that next shiny thing. The temptation to escape relationship troubles through alcohol, through work, through pornography. Temptation is anything that pulls us off the path and away from the goal. I want to pause for a moment. I want to recognize when we talk about temptation, and I think everyone here has an example in your heart that comes to mind when we talk temptation, and and very quickly we start to enter the realm of addiction and mental health. And so the question is, is when, t- when we talk temptation, how do we discuss addiction? How do we discuss mental health? And I think sometimes we fall in, again into one of two errors, and one of them is to say that we serve a big God. And so we can think or say, or maybe you have even heard, just pray, you'll be okay. You know, and God can, and God has, and God will. Sometimes he delivers from addiction like that, from mental health, like that. But I think by and large, it's, that's too simple. That there's complexities with addiction and mental health, that sometimes there's family history, it can be a response to trauma, there can be biochemical imbalances, and sometimes it feels like two steps forward, three steps back. And so the other way we can land is we can say it is so complex, it is so intricate, that it lands outside the realm of Christ's power. And on one side we say, just pray you'll be okay, and on the other side we say, you are beyond hope. And where we land this morning is that there is freedom and victory in the power of Christ. And sometimes that's a journey that requires counseling, medication, and a process. But there is freedom in the power of Christ. So we don't oversimplify, but we do not despair. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 4, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Um, it's not going to be on the screen, so if you have the Bible app, version is a great one. Uh, Pew Bible, page 484, if you want to grab that white and blue thing with the um, word Bible on it. So as you turn there, as you open there, a little bit of context. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 is where we're going. If you were to look back just a little bit to Luke chapter 3, verse 21, 22, 23. Jesus is 30 years old. He gets baptized. He comes out of the water, and the Holy Spirit rests on Jesus like a dove. And a voice from heaven comes and says to Jesus, You are my beloved Son, With you, I'm well pleased. Those are the last words spoken. 
And then Luke, the author, he takes a bit of a pause and he says, hey, uh, genealogy of Jesus, it looks like this. But the last word spoken, you are my son, in you I'm well pleased. So remember that. Secondly, there's a parallel here to Genesis 3, Adam and Eve in the garden. And, and so as we read through Jesus in the wilderness, remember Adam and Eve in the garden. Thirdly, the Greek word for tempt can also mean test. Depending on the Bible, if you look at the bottom there, it will actually say that. The Greek word for tempt can also mean test. It's like the English word just desserts. If you go somewhere and they only have pie, they have just desserts. But if you go there and you experience something you deserve, well, that's your just desserts. And it's the same word, but different meaning. And so here, sometimes test means test, and sometimes test means tempt. What's the difference? Well, testing is to demonstrate something's character or quality. When you go for your end test at ICBC, the goal isn't that you fail. Some might disagree. But the goal, ideally, isn't that you fail. It's that you demonstrate your quality as a driver. If you have a, a piano recital, a drum recital, the goal isn't that you fail, it's that you demonstrate your capacity drumming and playing piano. If you have a PhD defense, the goal is that you demonstrate mastery of the subject. That is a test to demonstrate quality and character. The goal of temptation is failure. It wants you to fail. Let me give you an example. In college, I had a friend, and when he was in high school, I didn't know him in high school, um, his backyard bordered his high school's field. So when he sat in his backyard, he could see the high school field. And what he would do is he would phone up the popular kids in school and be like, hey guys, let's have a party at the high school. And he must have been persuasive because he was able to get these parties happening at the high school. Now, I don't know if this was just once or more than once. But he gets this huge party happening in the yard of the high school, but he wouldn't go. He would sit in his backyard. And once things got in full swing, he would call the cops. <laughs> and then sit there and watch the party that he started be broken up by the cops that he called. That's temptation. <laughs> temptation says, guys, it's a good night. Come to the party. And when you show up, temptation's not there. But you know what shows up? Accusation, guilt, shame, unworthiness. See, testing demonstrates character. Temptation wants you to fail. That's the difference. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. So then the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So when we read the Bible, sometimes I would say, this is the word of the Lord, and the response is, thanks be to God. So this is the word of the Lord. So do you see the similarities here to Genesis 3, Adam and Eve in the garden? The devil comes, and he comes as a liar. Jesus said that when the devil speaks lies, he's speaking, speaking his native language. But the lies aren't crazy out there. They're just little lies. And I think one of the most powerful words the devil ever uses is really. Ah, did, did God really say? You know, are you really the son of God? Uh, you know, can we be sure? And, and it's not a big lie. It's just like, a, oh, like, can we be sure? Maybe we should just have a healthy amount of doubt here. So there's a little bit of, of deception, a little bit of sowing uncertainty. And then secondly, from that deception comes the invitation to redefine good and evil. Uh, that's how some people have summarized Genesis chapter 3. It was the opportunity for Adam and Eve. They were, they were given good and evil by God. God said, do this, don't do that. And they said, actually, I think we can come up with a better set of rules. And here Jesus is in the wilderness, and the devil is inviting him to maybe choose some good ideas. Maybe they're not God's good ideas, but good ideas nonetheless. So there's that deception and then the invitation to redefine good and evil. The beginning's the same, and maybe the middle's the same, but the ending is very different. See, these temptations were handcrafted by the devil. The goal was to condemn, to trap, to make guilty and unworthy, but Jesus took that temptation that was destined for sin and death, and he turned it into a testing that demonstrated his character. See, Jesus' victory empties temptation of its power. The temptation that was once a source of death is now a demonstration of the power and the character of Christ. And if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this, that the reason the Son of God came was to destroy the devil's work, and that includes the power of temptation. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we've been tempted, and yet he was without sin. And so when we're struggling, we can go to Jesus, and he's gone through everything we've gone through, and we'll find mercy and grace. But how many people find this passage in Luke super relatable? You're like, yeah, I'm always tempted to turn stone into sandwiches, logs into burritos. <laughs> Happens all the time. Every time that I get led up to the high place and shown the nations of the world, I get really tempted to devil worship too. And every time I'm on top of the temple, I just want to jump. See, for me, for a really long time, this was not relatable in the least. I felt like Jesus was such a spiritual guy that even his temptations were more spiritual than my temptations. But as I was looking this week at this, and honestly, one thing I was really excited about, about preaching on temptation, is I was really excited to find the, the like, ultimate solution. And I think maybe you're hoping that I found it. We'll find out. 
But when I, when I dug into this, it's maybe at first pass not much that I've experienced. See, I've never been tempted to turn a stone into a sandwich. If I could, we would have to replace all of the rocks around here. I would just stop bringing lunch and just be like, boom, I got my lunch. But I don't think it would have been bad for Jesus to turn stone into a sandwich. Hear me out. I don't think it was that act that would have been so bad. Because there's the devil's invitation and there's Jesus' response, and Jesus is responding to the heart of the issue. Jesus was hungry. I don't think the issue was that he was hungry after not eating for 40 days. I think that's legit. I don't think that it was about the bread. Jesus wasn't spiritually celiac. You know, it's like he, he could eat bread. So I don't think it was about the hunger or the changing or the eating. I don't think that's what it was. Jesus' response is, we don't live on bread alone. I think the temptation was, hey, Jesus, live like bread is all there is. Live like your needs are the most important thing. Take the direction of your life and pursue the things, the legitimate needs you have. Pursue those things. And Jesus says, bread is important, but it's not the only thing we, we live on. The full quote there is, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I think the temptation here, it's not the food, it's to pursue my needs as though it's the most important thing that I can do. And so do we ever feel tempted to turn stone into bread? Maybe not. But do we ever feel like the needs we have are the most important things in our lives? That I've been tempted by. To think that money will take care of me, therefore money needs to be the goal of my life. The temptation to pursue money and pay above all else, that cutthroat get ahead, get that promotion, to get the power, to make the choices that bring the bucks because money's all you need. It's not bad to have money, but it is to pursue it. It's not bad to have friends, but the temptation to feel like my network is my net worth, and the pursuit of friends, of networks, of followers, of likes and follows and shares, of compromising integrity, of doing things you didn't think you would, because it's not what you know, it's who you know. And it's who you know that's going to get you through life. It's not bad to kick back, but there's a temptation to pursue comfort and pleasure, to have the next phone, the biggest TV, the next big trip, to live for the weekend because you want a great highlight reel when you die, right? See, money, friends, and pleasure are not bad, but they are when they become the focus of what we do. And I think the temptation here that the devil was offering Jesus is you have legitimate needs, why not pursue them? above all else. And Jesus responds, you don't live on bread or money or friends or pleasure alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the devil leads Jesus up to a high place and shows him in an instant all the nations of the world. And I've never been tempted to devil worship there, but that's probably the superhero power I'd want the most, is the ability to go anywhere instantly. I think that'd be super fun. Now, in the first half of the Bible, called the Old Testament, it gave kind of like a sketch or a framework or a pathway that the person who was called the Messiah, who is Jesus, of what his life would look like. 
And in Psalm chapter 2, it's very interesting. Do you remember the words in Luke 3? You're my son. Luke 4, if you're my son. In Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, it says to this, You are my son, today I've become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. So here's a promise that God would give his son the nations. And in Isaiah, there's four places in Isaiah, in Isaiah called the servant songs. And they described the work that the Messiah, that Jesus would do. And if you imagine them kind of like background music for Jesus' life, like he's his walking from here to there, these servant songs are just playing in the background. It's Isaiah 42, 49, 50, and 52. But they're not just called the servant songs, they're also called the songs of the suffering servant. And so if Jesus looked in Isaiah, he would see what it meant to receive the nations. In Isaiah 53, it says this, talking about Jesus. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, God promised that Jesus would receive the nations, but the journey between now and the nations was a path of suffering. And in Matthew 26, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying the last night before he is arrested, convicted, and crucified. And what is his prayer? From the deepest part of him, he says, God, is there any other way? If there's any way we can do this differently, let's do this differently. But not my will, but yours be done. See, I think it was one of the deepest desires of Jesus' heart to find a different way other than the path of suffering. But underneath that was not my will, but yours be done. See, I've never been offered the nations, but I don't love suffering. And there's some things that take a long time that I would really rather not wait for. I just kind of want them now. I want to play piano. I don't want to learn piano. I want to speak another language. I don't want to learn another language. I want to be rich. I don't want to get rich. I want to be humble. I don't want to think of myself less. I want to lead. I don't want to follow. And I think Jesus, the question is, is do you want the nations? And are you willing to accept suffering? Because the devil comes and he says, ah, you know, it's, it's a tough road. It's a tough road. You know what? I, I'd love to help. There's another way. If you want the nations, I can get you the, Nathan, na the nations. It doesn't have to be so hard. You know, if someone did you dirty, you want justice. You don't have to reconcile. Just get them back. Spread the story. It'll be easier. You long for intimacy and connection. But you don't want to invest in or commit to relationships. You don't want to seek emotional health. That's hard. That's long. So why not turn to pornography or prostitution? You have unresolved hurt and you want to move on, but it's a lot of work to process that stuff, to, to deal with the pain. So why don't you just maybe eat or drink or work and we'll just numb that pain? 
See, I've never been tempted to devil worship to get the nations, but I have been tempted to find an easier way to get what God promises. See, God promises justice. God promises connection. He promises significance, but the road to get there isn't always short or easy, and the devil offers another way. I think that was the second temptation. And Jesus' response is, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Eyes on the prize, feet on the path. And the third, they go up to the top of the temple. I've been to Jerusalem, was never tempted to jump. But this is the only place in the, in, the, in the entire story that we have here, this is the only place that the devil uses the Bible. See, temptation one, temptation, Jesus says scripture. Temptation two, temptation, Jesus says scripture. Temptation three, the devil goes, well, why don't I give this a shot? And he quotes Psalm 91. He decides to use God's word against God. See, at the end of the first temptation, Jesus was hungry and stayed hungry. Temptation two, Jesus was on the road to suffering and continues on the road to suffering. Temptation three, hey, you're pretty hungry, and it seems like you're going down a, a pretty rough path. Like, is it worth it? Do you think God is good for this? Like, is this journey of hunger and suffering, is, is it actually worth it? Are God's words actually that dependable? These words that you keep saying, are they worth their salt? Why don't we just, why don't we just check? Let's take a test. God promises that you'll, he'll catch you, so why don't you jump? Let's just make sure God is good for his word. Does he cash his checks? See, I've never been offered the nations, but I have wondered if God is good. I have wondered if he's true to his promises. I have wondered if this whole thing is worth it. And I've been tempted to put a test out there. God, John 14, 13 says that I can ask for anything in your name and I'll get it. So if you love me, I'd like a million dollars. I prayed this prayer a lot as a kid. God, Philippians 4, 13 says I can do all things because you can give me strength. I didn't study for this exam, but I'd like an A if you love me. God, if you love me, you will bless the self-destructive plans I'm making. I'm going to jump, so I hope you catch me. Could you imagine coming to a friend or a spouse and being like, hey, I'm going to be up on the roof at 1 o'clock today. Do you mind catching me? It's extremely manipulative. It's very unhealthy. It undermines the foundation of trust and intimacy and love and connection. And if this is your communication pattern, if you love me, you will do this. Don't. Don't. See, Jesus, he was invited this opportunity for conditional obedience. God, you have my obedience once I get this. He was given the opportunity to manipulate God into doing what he wanted him to do. Uh, God, I'm going to make these plans anyways, and so you'd better just bless me in this. See, I, I've been tempted to put my obedience on the other side of God doing something for me. I've been tempted to wonder if God is good. And Jesus replies, don't put God to the test. So let me ask you this morning, what are our temptations? What's your temptation? 
I'm not talking breaking a New Year's resolution. I'm talking about the thing that pulls at your soul. The thing that that 50% of you wants more than anything to be free of and the other 50% can hardly wait to jump back in that mud. What is the thing that pulls you and pulls you and pulls you off the path and away from the goal? Maybe it's living like the point of your life is to meet your needs. Maybe it's making choices where the ends justify the means, or maybe you just want the ends without the means to shortcut God's process. Maybe it's to put conditions on obedience, to ask God to bless self-destructive plans as proof is his love. Maybe these resonate with you, and maybe you have others. Honestly, I'm not so worried about whether you feel like Jesus' temptation line up with your temptations. What I want us to do is to respond like Jesus responds. This week has been a really tough week for me. If you want, I mean, and, and, and not just me, but, but talking to a lot of people um, in our family, we, you know the punch buggy game? See a punch buggy, you punch? We've started to play, okay, some of you look confused. The punch buggy game <laughs> is if you see a Volkswagen Beetle, it's called a punch buggy. First one to see it gets to punch the other person, but you have to say no returns or they get to punch you back. So we've been playing this as a family, and once we started playing it, we realized how many punch buggies were out there. And once we started talking about spiritual warfare, I think I started to realize how much spiritual warfare was out there. And I've talked to a number of people who have experienced something similar. I think Kevin described it last week. You said it was like walking through mud. This week, I, I had a moment this week, I had a lot of moments this week, but I had one moment this week where something I haven't thought about for years came up. And it was this, this, this moment where I wasn't done as, what happened is not something I wanted. And I took that out and I went over every moment and I extracted the juice of what I deserved. I thought of everything that I wish I would have said. And it felt so good at such a deep place and I all of a sudden realized that I haven't thought about this for years. And it was this temptation to shortcut justice. And the first thing we have to do is we have to recognize that there's an enemy out there who's, who's serving up temptation hot and fresh every week for us. And once I recognized it, then I could respond. And so we need to recognize that the devil, he has lost. The reason the Son of God came was to destroy the devil's work. The devil has lost, but he would love for you to lose too. This is not my finest moment, but Emily and I were playing a game with Settlers of Catan once uh, at a different church a long time ago. And we were playing with our pastor. And we started the game and something happened and our, and our pastor said to us, you have to let me win because I'm your pastor. And he was serious. And Emily and I had been married long enough that we looked at each other and we were like, I don't care if I win, he needs to lose. And whichever one of us could beat him, we knew we were just going to make that happen. Because I don't have to win as long as he lost. And that's where the devil is with us. He doesn't have to win as long as you lose. As long as I lose. See, his outcome's sealed. But boy, would he love you to lose. 
one of the things that I thought is interesting is where do Jesus and the devil agree? What's something they agree on in this temptation? They agree that Scripture settles temptation. See, temptation number one, hey, turn stone into bread. Jesus, man does not live by bread alone. Devil, good point. Touché. End of argument. Okay, that door's closed. I'm going to try another door. Hey, what about the nations? Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Oh, man. End of discussion. Well said. That is relevant, applicable, and powerful. Okay, let's move on. See, Jesus and the devil both agree that Scripture settles temptation. The devil actually has a very high view of Scripture. It doesn't need to be explained, but, but we don't need to be reckless with it. See, that's exactly what the devil was do- doing, is he was misusing Scripture as well. So if you're saying to me, hey, John, are you, are you saying... That when we experience temptation, just say a verse and it'll all go away? Well, no, it's not quite so simple. What did Jesus do? Well, he said a Bible verse and the temptation went away. See, we all have temptations in this room. And what I would very, my, my heart and my prayer, Aldergrove, is this moment right now where we take our heads where we have talked about temptation and there's a wall between our head and our heart. And where I have been praying and where I've been wanting us to move is that wall would disappear and we would not just understand temptation, but we would experience the victory and the power of Christ in our lives, in the temptation that is trying to pull at my heart and my soul off the path and away from the goal that we don't just understand, but we experience the victory of Christ. That has been my heart and my prayer. And so this next moment, Jesus, would you give us grace? Would you lead us in this moment? Holy Spirit, we just ask you would fill this place, that you would speak truth and such joy. We all have temptations. We all have the thing that pulls at our heart, and yours is going to be different than mine. If there was a peanut butter cheesecake up here, not interesting for me. I have a peanut allergy. For some people, that's interesting. It's not for me. Cherry cheesecake, oh boy. So your temptation might not be mine. Mine might not be yours. There are things that we feel bound by. There's things that we want freedom from. They're like hooks in our soul. And if we're honest, part of us wants to keep them there. And part of my struggle has been pornography, particularly in high school and in college. And funnily enough, I found that the greater the spiritual experience I had, the stronger the temptation was immediately after that. And so I actually found it very comforting that Jesus went from the moment of baptism where the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descends and the very next moment is his greatest temptation, I suspect. And so I'm always aware, I'm not afraid, but I have found freedom. There's three things that I did. First of all, be practical. Make the good easy the evil difficult, and friends aware. If you struggle with alcohol, don't buy alcohol and have it in the house. If you struggle with gossip, don't call that friend up for coffee. 
delete their number. If you struggle with pornography, put something like Covenant Eyes on your phone. Get a dumb phone. Take the internet out of your house. Make the good easy, the evil difficult, and make friends aware. So I have trusted friends that I talk to. I'm like, hey guys, this is, this is tough for me these days. Good, easy, evil, difficult, friends aware. Secondly, I use scripture. If anyone, <clears throat> is in new, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. God made him who had no sin to be sin for me so that in him I could have the righteousness of Christ. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in, in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I cannot tell you how many times I've said those verses again and again and again. Those verses for me are hard fought. Those verses, they are my sword. They've got nicks along the edge. They're tarnished, but they have held strong. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. God made him who had no sin to be sin so that I in him could have the righteousness of Christ. See, those scriptures have been the scriptures that I have used to fight and fight and fight again. When the enemy has come in with temptation, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. I have fought, I have fought, I have fought. And I have found freedom. There is freedom. <clears throat> there is freedom in Christ. <laughs> I cry a lot up here. <laughs> I don't cry a lot in normal life. So no, you don't just say a verse. You draw your sword. You fight. You hold on tooth and nail and you say it again and again and again because scripture is enough to settle temptation. It is enough. And there is freedom in Christ. And you're not alone in the fight little bit of Greek for you. Depending on the version of your Bible, when it says that Jesus was led into the wilderness. If you have NIV, if you have ESV or NLT, it'll say Jesus was led in the wilderness. And the Greek word for in can also mean into. And in the into, it feels like the Holy Spirit walked Jesus to the border of the wilderness and said, okay, goodbye, have a good day at temptation. But it wasn't just into, it was in. Jesus was led in the wilderness by the Spirit. And this is not a do-better, try-harder service where you think about the thing that you are the worst at and you maybe have 60 minutes from when you walk out the door until you do it again. In Galatians chapter 5, it says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with one another, so that you do not do whatever you want, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, 
Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, do you feel seen now? I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But if we're led by the Spirit, if we walk by the Spirit, if we keep in step by the Spirit, if we live by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the things that the Holy Spirit works in us. Holder Grove, I hope that you hear me this morning, that there is freedom from temptation. That what was once for me my place of shame, my place of sin, and my place of death has become a demonstration of the character of Christ in me. The path to freedom isn't always straight. Some of us are going to walk out the door this morning and fall right back into it. So there's freedom, but the path to freedom isn't always straight. Man, have I come a long way, but I got a long way to go. I still feel like money is going to make me worthwhile. I still have moments of feeling worthless, like my performance is connection to my, connected to my significance. But I've come a long way. So what do we do when temptation wins? What do you do when you show up at the party and the cops are there? The devil goes from tempter to accuser, and there's two ways. I think the two most significant things we need to be aware of is, is respond or falling to the temptation is the first way the devil gets us off the path. The second way is he keeps us there with the feeling of shame and unworthiness, and if anybody ever knew, they could ever, never love me. So I found this quote by Brother Lawrence from his book, The Practice of the Presence of God. It says this, it says that when he had failed in his duty, he only confessed his fault, saying to God, I won't do any better if you leave me to myself. It's you who must keep me from falling and fix what is broken. After this, he stopped worrying about it. What a beautiful picture of grace. See, this quote got me back on the horse. 1 John 1.9, it says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, there's freedom from temptation and there's grace when we fall. Come back to Christ. So I'm going to invite the, the band to come up. I'm going to invite you to stand. I would invite you for prayer. We have a prayer team at the front here. We have a prayer Room it in the back, and we would love to pray with you. And would you join me in prayer now? Jesus, we just ask now for mercy and grace that we would understand that you have come to destroy the work of the enemy, and that includes temptation. God, the things that pull at our soul, the things that pull us off the path, I pray you'd bring it to mind. And we just proclaim freedom in Jesus' name. God, I pray that the things that, that call and call again, the things and the places where it feels like two steps forward, ten steps backward in this room right now would fall in Jesus' name. I pray that the hooks that are in our soul that half of us wants and the other half doesn't, that, that Holy Spirit, you would come and you would transform us that you would remind us that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So we ask you would help us recognize what it is that the devil is doing. 
that you would help us make the good easy and the evil difficult and friends aware. That you, the truth of your scripture would shine. And Holy Spirit, that you would lead us. So we ask for freedom. We pray this in your name. Amen.